This episode is sponsored by Fifth Third Bank. Fifth Third works hard every day to address the environmental challenges our planet faces in ways that will create long-term value for Fifth Third Bank and in turn strengthen the communities in which their shareholders, customers, and employees live and work. Fifth Third has five operational sustainability goals that will promote a healthy and sustainable environment and help protect the planet for future generations, including reducing energy usage by 25%, reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 25%, which they achieved in 2018, and purchasing 100% renewable power, which they just achieved in August. For more on that, check out our last episode of Squeaky Clean. To learn more about Fifth Third's sustainability policy, visit 53.com. Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Hello, squeaky clean listeners. Welcome to our 10th episode. And for this one, we're taking a deep dive into a landmark piece of legislation that was recently signed into law in South Carolina. I'm talking about the South Carolina Energy Freedom Act, which was signed into law on May 16th of this year. I'm sitting down with one of the leading advocates and architects of this legislation, Thad Cauley of Vote Solar. We'll be getting down in the weeds on this important legislation, so fasten your seatbelt for a ride through the halls of South Carolina's General Assembly. But first, let's start with our policy update. This update is more about what did not happen in North Carolina as it is about what happened. Last week, we were expecting a negotiated conference report on Senate Bill 559, which, if you'll remember, is Duke Energy's rate hike bill that includes a few provisions which have proven to be very controversial. The most controversial among these is multi-year rate plans, which would allow Duke to set rate increases for up to three years into the future without the normal oversight and rate payer protections that a rate case comprises. Spoiler alert! We will be taking a deep dive into rate cases in a future Squeaky Clean episode, so stay tuned for that special episode. Similar legislation to Senate Bill 559 allowed the utility in Virginia to over-earn more than $1 billion, so North Carolina needs to stand up to Duke and prevent this costly mistake. As I said, we were expecting this bill, which has had a bumpy ride through the General Assembly, to be released in its final conference report version this week. But due to disagreements among the conferees and a lack of consensus, we will have to wait until September 30th before we see the final product of these behind-closed-door negotiations. That's because the General Assembly is taking this week off. We aren't exactly sure what will be included in the final version of Senate Bill 559, but if they include the multi-year rate plans without first studying them and other regulatory reform tools, then North Carolina should learn from Virginia and avoid the $1 billion loss that Virginians overpaid the utility. As always, we are tracking this bill very closely and will keep you updated as the final developments of this saga unfold. 
In other news, the finalized version of the North Carolina Clean Energy Plan, prepared by the Department of Environmental Quality, is slated for release on October 1st. And in it, we can expect to see North Carolina's options for achieving Governor Cooper's goal of a 40% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2025. Also on October 1st, the Zero Emissions Vehicle, or ZEV, plan will be finalized by the Department of Transportation, which will lay out a path to get 80,000 zero emissions vehicles on the road by 2025. Lastly, the Clean Energy Workforce Assessment, released by the Department of Commerce, will also be finalized. We're really excited about these plans and would like to give a big kudos to the departments that made them possible, as well as the groups and individuals who weighed in during the public comment period. Another spoiler alert! We are so excited to confirm that on the next episode of Squeaky Clean, I will be sitting down for a full interview with none other than the head of the Department of Environmental Quality, Secretary Michael Regan. Stay tuned for that super cool episode. And without further ado, let's move on to our regularly scheduled programming. Clean energy. Our guest today is Regional Director for Vote Solar. He's working to build upon the early successes of solar markets in Virginia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. Prior to joining Vote Solar, our guest was a partner with the law firm Keys and Fox, where he spent seven years working on legal and policy issues concerning distributed generation, including net metering, rate design, and interconnection. He lives in Chapel Hill, where he enjoys reminiscing in his younger years there of playing in bands, working as a barista, and walking his almost famous dog. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to today's guest, Thad Coley. Thad, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Thanks. You know, first time caller, long time listener. So it's a <laughs> pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is that I'm having to I'm having to bend down to see you because what the listeners can't see is that there's actually a step ladder in between us that's holding the mic. So I'm uh, yeah, I'm having to bend down to see you. But hopefully we can we can uh, we can make eye contact during this conversation. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. This is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. So, Dad, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into clean energy and what you do with Foot Solar? Oh, yeah, sure. Happy to. I'd, I'd say after I put away the illusion I was going to be a rock star, uh, I kind of find my w- way into the vocation of wanting to be a lawyer, uh, particularly wanted to be an environmental lawyer. But as I w- talked around to some of the people that were in the practice, you know, I found your options were going to be you know, working for a nonprofit and taking on a large amount of debt to go to school uh, or going and working for a big firm and you know maybe uh, defending some some things that weren't really in line with your principles. So as someone that cares about the environment, uh, I, th- I think I found a middle path, which is an industry that's trying to help the environment, which is clean energy. So uh, as I entered law school, that really kind of crystallized, and I knew I wanted to be a renewable energy lawyer. Not that that was a real thing in uh, tw- in 2007, but, uh, but now there are a lot more of us that actually call ourselves clean energy lawyers. Sure. And so can you talk a little bit about what Vote Solar does in general and how you fit into that picture? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Vote Solar, as a kind of a long-standing nonprofit, does work across the country, uh, based out of Oakland, uh, California, and San Francisco originally. So we do a lot of work uh, with state legislatures, uh, also in regulatory commissions like the Utilities Commission here in North Carolina, Public Service Commission in South Carolina, uh, and around the country. So we have 
uh, about a dozen or so folks that can serve as expert witnesses in those cases. And we have a, a couple of lawyers on staff that uh, can dabble in it as well. Um, so we've, we you know, really pride ourselves on focusing on, on ma- issues that matter to solar, uh, not just rooftop, uh, utility scale, IRP and avoided costs are also uh, kind of key important dockets that we like to get involved in. So you're from North Carolina, specifically the the small town of Troy. Shout out to Troy. Why did you choose to work in this state, in this region, and how have you seen clean energy evolve over the years? Yeah, hopefully we'll see a bump in listenership uh, from, the, from, from Montgomery County. <laughs> All those listeners in Troy. You know, I, I did just check the uh, Wikipedia. I think it was 27,000 might be the, the county population. I'm not gotcha. sure. Tro- Troy has... Has evolved, I'm sure, and and I do believe there's some solar in Montgomery County these very days. Very cool, very cool. Uh, but how I've seen it evolve, you know, I, I really didn't have clean energy on my radar uh, as a kid, and once I got to NC State, you know, I and uh, started thinking about going to to law school. I did start paying attention, uh, particularly when we passed an RPS, and. I think what we've seen, or at least just anecdotally, driving around the streets of, of Durham and Chapel Hill and Raleigh, there's a lot more rooftop these days. Um, you know, you, you can you can check out, and it's something I've done in the past, is uh, look at NCSEA's solar map and actually made an expedition out of it. I drove, once I got a, a Nissan Leaf, decided I'd do a kind of a clean energy, clean car uh, trip and went around and took pictures of some of the, the facilities out there. So uh, it's... Just only, a, only a true clean energy nerd would do that. <laughs> no, it, it's true, and, and I think I think people think I do that more often because when I do talk to people that have seen my Twitter, that that's what they seem to remember. So, yeah, uh, but I've only done it once. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know since 2007, it's just been night and day what what has happened in North Carolina. So we're here to talk about what happened in South Carolina in regards to clean energy. An exciting development just unfolded. It's the culmination of a lot of work that you were part of, that other partner organizations took part in. Can you give us an overview of what happened in South Carolina recently? Yes. South Carolina is is definitely a, a high point in the last year, I'd, I'd say for the entire Southeast, you know, maybe maybe the country. I think what's really neat about South Carolina, we you know we talk about red states and clean energy, and uh, the types of the types of arguments and the types of policies that resonate in those states. I think South Carolina is really kind of a bright spot and, and gets me excited for what's possible in the South. Uh, you know, there we had bipartisan support, but really you know Republican leadership took this bill on, uh, and I'm speaking of the Energy Freedom Act. Uh, you know, and the, the, the key themes were let's add some competition to the mix. You know, we've, uh, South Carolina acutely felt what happened when there wasn't a check on monopoly power. They had this nuclear plant called VC Summer that never got built and left about a $9 billion deficit for the state and consumers to pick up. Uh, so that really made fertile ground uh, for South Carolina legislators to start thinking about what's the future and how do we get competition uh, to bring lower cost renewables to us, and I think the Energy Freedom Act took a, a really big step forward. You know, it's not an RPS; it doesn't guarantee any amount of megawatts are going to be built, but it establishes a process uh, where you know we we can expect to see a lot more renewable development in that state. 
So what were some of the key takeaways that uh, the listeners need to know about? So this was a comprehensive, pretty wide-ranging bill. Uh, so those that are familiar with you know, what has made the solar market in North Carolina, uh, you know, PURPA and the commission's implementation of PURPA particularly, uh, that is something that's been lacking in South Carolina. They don't have uh, nearly the solar capacity uh, that North Carolina has been able to build under under PURPA. And, and for the listeners who might be a little less familiar, what is PURPA and how does it play a role in the Energy Freedom Act? Yes, yeah, so PURPA is a federal law that came into being in, in 1978, and what it essentially does is require utilities to purchase uh, the output from independent power producers. So, uh, you know, it kind of provides a level playing field, or that's the intent at least, is to provide access to the market uh, for independent power producers and, and particularly clean energy uh, so, you know, we can get more into PURPA later, but, but generally it, it is the fun, you know, kind of fundamentals of, uh, blocking and tackling of, of how states that have, have built clean energy markets have done it. Okay. So back to some of these key takeaways, you've got, uh, an expansion, uh, so not a guarantee of megawatts built, but you have a market opening because of what? Well, a whole big number of things. You know, there's been reform to their integrated resource planning process through this bill, uh, which is going to open more doors. It's more tools to advocates uh, to get clean energy uh, part of the utilities planning process. Uh, so that's a big encouragement. Second, whenever the utilities are going to build a, a big facility, a big generating facility in South Carolina, they have to show the commission their math and say that they looked at all the alternatives. They looked at solar plus storage and some other things. and To see which one would be low cost. That's right. That's right. So that's kind of a new requirement. Uh, and it's not a requirement that the utilities were kicking and screaming about. I think this is it's a reasonable step forward. And, and it refl- relates to that theme of opening up to competition. Sure. Uh, so I'm excited to see how that port part of the bill plays out uh, to the extent that solar plus storage is... Uh, eating eating the lunch of natural gas in the West, like to see that happen here in the on the East Coast as well. Uh, in addition to that, uh, from the rooftop space, South Carolina had a, a really successful rollout in 2014 of net metering and solar rebates. Uh, it led from going from 3,000 or I mean from 300 uh, rooftop systems in 2013 to you know over probably 12,000, 14,000 by the time this bill passed. Uh, uh, and what is net what is net metering? So net metering is is the the policy. It's also in place in North Carolina and in uh, gosh, I'm probably like forty states uh, still use it, where a customer that can you know install solar and use their own power and any any excess that they put back to the grid, they get to use as a bill credit to offset what they purchase from the utility. So it's ultimately a way of taking control and and managing your bills by installing solar on your roof. And this was new in South Carolina. Uh, it, it had been in existence in South Carolina prior to uh, 2014, but uh, there was a, a bill that was passed then, the Distributed Energy Resource Program Act, uh, that set a 2% of peak demand cap on net metering and put in place some rebates and uh, allowed solar leasing. So these are things that you know really kind of combined together did a lot to help the, the market take off. Um, you know, not to get too tangential, but... Uh, House Bill 589 in North Carolina a couple years back copied uh, a lot of the elements of that bill uh, that had been successful in, in South Carolina. Um, 
And because it was so successful, we saw the utilities hitting this 2% peak uh, limit on net metering way earlier than anyone thought. I think the bill contemplated that a new policy would be put in place by 2021. Uh, but here we were in 2018, and Duke Energy Carolinas had already hit their cap. Uh, SE&G was kind of barreling uh, toward their cap. Uh, so we had some urgency in getting this bill passed. Uh, and demand for and demand. for rooftop, for sure. Though that's, that's absolutely right. We had a lot of uh, solar jobs come to the state, and you know here we were about to go off a cliff. So uh, that, that piece of the bill really was the most urgent. You know, if we did not get this bill passed, you know, there would have been severe consequences on terms of job loss from the state. Who are some of the key partners that you are working with on this? And, uh, and, and why don't you take this time to give some shout outs to the people that you are working with? Oh, yeah, this, this, could, take, this could take a while. There were so many uh, good people. I, one of the things I'm proudest of this, this process was just how well uh, a coalition of folks work together. And we had folks in the environmental sector. Um, you know, we saw, I mean, I'll just lift, list off some of the organizations. We had, you know, the Conservation Voters of South Carolina played a great role. Uh, we had uh, National Solar Energy Industries Association, and Maggie Clark uh, was fantastic. We had Solar Business Alliance of South Carolina, Southern Current, uh, Sunrun on the residential side, very instrumental. You had uh, Upstate Forever, Coastal Conservation League, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, and I know I'm gonna. This is like the uh, the Oscars. I'm gonna miss somebody. <laughs> it was really a great group, and I think what was remarkable to see was just how much political uh, leverage and and power these groups had when they worked together. Uh, so you know you had utility scale and rooftop working together. You know, maybe not always thought of as being allied in in states, but you know it, this this proved. Uh, everyone could kind of put things aside and say, we need to do this together to make it happen. And uh, they sure did. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of policy harmonization between North Carolina and South Carolina, and it's emerging because of the overlap between Duke Energy and Progress Energy. So how do you think about this bleed over? And what does the future look like for policy regulation of the investor-owned utilities in South Carolina and North Carolina? No, that's a, a great and timely question. I think we have seen kind of a bit of ping-ponging between the states with uh, the most recent, like, say, Duke Energy rate cases, uh, where they, they rolled out Power Forward, which was their kind of grid investment plan, uh, which is what they call it now, the grid investment plan, uh, which was a very big-scale investment. Well, they had planned that across the Carolinas. And uh, sequence-wise, they went to North Carolina first and were not successful. They went to South Carolina next, uh, had faced similar challenges, and now you know we're on cue for another round of rate cases in North Carolina to kind of test this out. So I think there's been a lot of interaction um, and very consistent policy pushes that, that Duke Energy has been making across those states that uh, I think provides an opportunity for advocates to really get uh, solidified into what they want to see happen, because this is, uh, is it's one operated as a system. And so the opportunity for for us to build a better system in North Carolina, I think is very much tied to building a better system in South Carolina. Um, and I think the precedent that is set in, in each state will carry over and have immediate impact. Uh, yeah. So what do you think that immediate impact is? And I guess, 
in, you know, what does it mean in the short term? And then what does it mean in the medium to long term? Yeah, I think in terms of the Energy Freedom Act, you know, Duke Energy just recently appeared before the Public Service Commission to talk about that bill and really leaned into it. And they said that there are a lot of things in this bill that they've uh, kind of been working toward anyway, and that it, you know, is something that they largely supported. Um, you know, and I say largely supported, there were elements of the bill that are controversial that North Carolina, North Carolinians that are following clean energy would, would flag. Which like is what? Like what? Contract length for uh, PPAs for uh, clean energy facilities or QFs uh, in the, in the PURPA context. I mean, that's been a very heated issue in North Carolina. And that was something that, that took a lot of finagling, uh, to get across the finish line in South Carolina. But Be- because the independent power producers want certainty about, you know, how their energy is going to be purchased and what's going to happen long-term, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. To finance a project, you need to have some, some vision into the future of, of what your revenue streams are going to be. And if it's five years, that's really not adequate to, uh, to invest or to, to get financing for a really large capital project. Right. What challenges does the Energy Freedom Act solve and what challenges have yet to be addressed? Yeah, so I think it really solved the near-term challenge for uh, the rooftop market uh, since the net metering cap was really presenting a cliff that the industry was going to fall off. So I think that that provided a, a ramp um, and you know, kind of a, run, a longer runway, that is, to de- to really develop a policy that's going to be sustainable going forward. That may look something like net metering today, it may not, uh, but I feel fairly confident with the tools that are in the statute, the things that the commission will consider, uh, that advocates have a fighting chance of getting something good out of that. Now, I think what remains to be seen is uh, how well the Energy Freedom Act spurs uh, dealing with some of the biggest issues, which, you know, in South Carolina, like North Carolina, interconnection is a huge problem. Uh, the queues are backlogged, and there's kind of these new uh, new issues coming up that no one really knows how to deal with. Uh, so I think to the extent the Energy Freedom Act w- uh, spurs that conversation at the commission, uh, it's really up to the commission and up to the parties to be able to get to a new place that, that manages the queue better and enables faster interconnection times because that right now is going to kind of be an impediment that that isn't immediately solved by the bill. Dad, what are you most excited about right now? I'd have to say it's it's exciting to be in North Carolina when, you know, we have this framework, one of the first kind of uh, policy-setting framework since the RPS was passed, and I'm talking specifically about, you know, Governor Cooper's uh, Executive Order 80. Sure, and, and, the, and the RPS being the Renewable Portfolio Standards yes. that requires renewable energy to be built in North Carolina. That's that's right. And, you know, that is remarkable in the, the Southeast. It's really the only mandatory uh, renewable standard that, that is in the, the Southeast proper. Uh, so, you know, having been over a decade, uh, I think the, the, the Executive Order and the DEQ's Clean Energy Plan, which is now in draft form, it's the first significant kind of uh, framing of what we see the future. And there's a lot in that plan that I like. I think uh, it, it recognizes a lot of the trends that are happening. And, you know, Duke Energy and others are going to be spending more money on their grid uh, and modernizing the grid. Well, this plan, you know, really wants to do it in a way that enables more customer uh, customer access to solar and, and other, other products like storage, uh, encourage energy efficiency. So I 
I think there's a lot of work to be done to work out the details on, on what, it, what it does, but it's great to have this this vision kind of laid forward that we can point to. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, taking that ball and running with it. I think there's a lot of good work we can do over the next few years to, to advance the ball. I've heard you have a great Twitter account. I've heard from multiple people that you have a great Twitter account. So uh, what's your Twitter handle? Because all the listeners on this show need to go follow you. Well, that's, that's very kind, but I think as I was going to maybe mention earlier about what I like about North Carolina is it's an island of humility, so I'm not going to accept that. I'm great at Twitter. <laughs> I, I, have, I have fun on Twitter, but uh, you can find me at Thad Cully, T-H-A-D-C-U-L-L-E-Y, and I'd be happy to add you to the list because uh, <laughs> I'm uh, still under 1,000, so if we can boost this to 1,000, show the it's like the Colbert bump. I want to see the, <laughs> the squeaky, the squeaky clean. clean bump. <laughs> there you go. We can quantify this. <laughs> nice. And who do you think everyone on this show should go follow on Twitter to stay up to date with clean energy developments? So you'll find this thing that's referenced. Uh, it's like the alliterati, the, the energy Twitter. Uh, there are a lot of big names out there, but the ones I like to follow, uh, well, one, so, you know, a good friend of mine, Ben Inskeep, who's with EQ Research, uh, formerly in the Triangle, now lives in Indiana, but he has great content. Uh, he f- tracks rate cases across the country, and he'll uh, is a really good source of kind of real-time data on what's being filed that's egregious. Uh, and kind of get your hackles up. So uh, he's great to uh, kind of get your blood running if you want to you want to read about what's going on around the country. Another person is uh, really good is Joe Daniel with Union Union of Concerned Scientists. I think he's at Electron Econ. Uh, also very funny, but also very informative and and in depth uh, feed. I think locally, like Maggie Clark with SIA, like have a lot of fun. I'm an NC State fan, so it's a little hard to stomach some of the Carolina references. <laughs> uh, I'm sure she'll appreciate that that shout out. But uh, also Carl Rabago, uh, formerly of uh, the Pace, uh, I guess, Energy Center up in New York, uh, also has very entertaining uh, and I think a very literary uh, Twitter feed as well. So those are a few, those are, those are some good ones. And you, you find the folks that link to them and uh, you're off to the races. There's hundreds of hundreds of uh, good people out there on with a lot more energy expertise than I have <laughs> that are doing this. So. Nice. Well, Thad, this was a great conversation. We learned a lot about South Carolina's Energy Freedom Act. Thad, thanks so much for the overview. Thanks for being on the show and thanks for being a great guest. Thank you, Ben. It's been great. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Fifth Third Bank, whose clean energy commitments are advancing North Carolina's clean energy economy. To learn more about Fifth Third, visit 53.com. And there you have it, folks, the 10th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast, delivering all things clean energy right to your ears. Got questions, comments, thoughts, concerns? Shoot me an email at podcast at energync.org. And if you want to be at the Clean Energy Party of the Year, join us at NCSEA's Powering Our Future Gala on October 10th in Hillsboro, North Carolina for a night of drinks, food, and dancing as we celebrate the advances that North Carolina's clean energy economy has made in the 40 years that NCSEA has been around. To attend, visit energync.org gala. 
Don't miss our next episode with North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality Secretary Michael Regan. And as always, have a great day.